Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The responses are rolling in on Twitter. I cannot wait to hear from you and share some of these. It's our weekly marriage hour, and one of those topics that comes up for everyone, parent or not, I remember having to deal with this when I was in high school, and that is, how do you correct another person's kid, or do you not? And when you do or did, how did that go for you? I want the stories, the good, bad, and the ugly, from parenting techniques such as don't say no to my child, to adults getting reprimanded for correcting a child, to actually successful corrections of terrorist children. Yes, I call children terrorists because let's be real, even mine can be one too. I think that this is a fascinating topic and many people are actually scared to correct other children. I don't know, man, I, I really would like to hear some wisdom, advice, and funny stories. How do you correct another person's kid or do you not? How did it go for you? Numbers one, 888-914-9149. can also answer now on Instagram some some great responses, hilarious responses, and very, very, I think, helpful responses are coming in, especially on Instagram. I put a question box up there. You can direct message me. Also, Facebook and Twitter. Go now and comment. If you can't give me a call, we are going to be talking about this a little bit later, but get those stories ready because I would like to hear them. Okay, you may have heard the news. Maybe you were pro-free Britney maybe you really didn't care, but Britney Spears ended up marrying last year after being released from her conservatorship, which she was under for, I can't remember, 10 to 15 years, I think around 13 years, under her father, couldn't make a lot of decisions for her life. You may think she's kooky, you may not. I'm not a fan of her music or her music videos, but I am a fan of freedom. Now, the sad thing is, is that news came out about her sons and how they are handling possibly the remarriage of their mom. Very short, simple statement, but I think speaks volumes to the challenges that divorce and remarriage bring to the children whose parents have divorced. Okay, something a little concerning, we're going to talk about it, and this is why we are people of faith and we pray and we also have to be candid. Uh, information about Supreme Court decision, we'll actually talk about it in a moment, imminent from the Supreme Court. Well, what happens if one of the Supreme Court justices dies or let's say is assassinated before that ruling is officially given? Well, it's an interesting question. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Yesterday, the news broke that President Biden issued another, and this is one in a whole slew of many over the last month, executive order forcing schools to push the LGBTQ identities on children and other government-funded entities. So we're going to talk about Eucharistic renewal, how 
to turn to our Lord and recognize his presence in the Eucharist and 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about generosity. Whether it's in marriage, outside of marriage, generosity is one that we can all grow in. And there's some sobering cutting words from St. Mother Teresa that all of us can learn from when it comes to generosity. I think I struggle with generosity in some ways and not in others. I think I struggle with generosity when it comes to sharing like my material goods and items I have or just giving them away to others. Perhaps I maybe not so much struggle with it when it comes to giving my time per se, uh, but generosity is one where it's interesting because I really do struggle in some ways with generosity. You can ask any of my siblings growing up. I really struggle with sharing. Uh, <laughs> some might argue that I still do, but we'll talk about that a little later today on trending. Okay, this is the question of the hour, and it's a fun question. I want to hear from you. What do you do? Do you correct another kid, another person's kid, or do you not? one 914 We're going to dive into that. But what happens if a Supreme Court justice dies before the abortion ruling is made on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health that will address what is anticipated, the ultimate decision of whether or not Roe versus Wade will indeed be overturned. It's an interesting question and something that I actually hadn't realized. Now, this is important because as we discussed yesterday here on Trending, alarming statistics showed that a rather high number of individuals under the age of 50 here in the United States in one uh, poll that was done, it was a small poll, but still, I think somewhat telling, uh, said that the vast, vast number, a shocking number, and again, listen to the podcast, we'll post the link now on social media and in the podcast notes, where I discuss this poll that a high number of people under 50 are actually okay with the assassination of a politician, like perfectly okay with it. I think it's interesting and it's scary at the same time, you know, that we have a commandment, the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. We have a difficulty collaborating and communicating on things, but we have seen growing threats, particularly against our Supreme Court justices, in light of the anticipated overturning of Roe versus Wade. And it's the pro-life justices who have been receiving death threats and one attempted assassination man was arrested before anything could be more tempted other than, well, arriving outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home where he and his family live in the middle of the night. Thank God that there were some uh, legal, there was some level of first responders and uh, there, the marshals to protect the Supreme Court justice. Now, this is important also because we saw in the last month and a half that finally, just over the last number of days, that we finally saw approval through the House for additional protections for the Supreme Court justices and their families. But this was after nearly a month and a half I mean, you push this through the House where the Democrats were holding this up, and yet it had received nearly unanimous Senate approval. Uh, this isn't a partisan issue. This is a matter of safety and upholding and protecting one of the highest courts and people who are serving this nation and their families. Now, right after that attempted assassination attempt happened last week, the radical pro-abortion and violent group known as Ruth sent us that's been claiming responsibility for many of the outrageously dangerous and outright destructive attacks on everything from churches to crisis pregnancy centers. Well, they published a detailed daily schedule of Justice and Amy Coney Barrett's day-to-day life, moment-to-moment. Now, this was 
something published because she is a pro-life voter in the case of Dobbs, as is believed. And people are posting information and making death threats. That's scary. So what does this all have to do with the Supreme Court and what happens if one of the justices dies or is assassinated? Well, in 2019, the Supreme Court decided that in the event that a Supreme Court justice dies, before a decision has been publicly announced but has already been decided upon by the court, well, that judge's vote is nullified. And whoever the new replacement vote would be would be the one to step in and fill that vote or um, depending on, you know, if there's obviously such a majority that there will be a 5-4 majority, for example, in the vote, it's already, and perhaps that wouldn't be needed. But what's the concern is that perhaps what if one of the Supreme Court justices who is pro-life and voted to overturn Roe versus Wade was assassinated or killed, well, what would happen? Well, if we have six votes, six pro-life votes, again, there's a really, the guess is a, the swing vote. Uh, by the head of the court. Every time I go to say his name, (laughs) um, Chief Justice John Roberts, I always forget it on the fly. But John Roberts, again, some people believe might be that swing vote. There is speculation of possibly another um, that might be a swing vote instead. But not even a swing vote would just make it so that Roe would be overturned with six votes versus five votes. Well, if Roe is only being overturned with five votes... And one of the justices that is ruling to overturn Roe versus Wade is, let's say, assassinated or dies. People are very concerned that in the event this happens, well, then we have to go back to the drawing board and with a very, very pro-abortion, radically pro-abortion current president today, that we would no longer have the votes to overturn Roe versus Wade. Not going to lie, I was not nervous about the outcome of the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health and the future of abortion until I heard this. I think this is a reminder for why we need to pray for our Supreme Court justices for courage, for protection, both spiritual and physical, for each of the justices, no matter whether we agree with them or not, and to pray for their families as well. Pray for truth, courage, and spiritual and physical protection to reign in their families. And this is why everyone's saying the Supreme Court needs to make a decision. It will help to lessen the threats that are imminent to the Supreme Court. But praise God that indeed, two things. One, finally, we did see the House approve uh, protections, additional protections and security for our justices and their family. But also, Good news, these groups such as Ruth sent us and those who are responsible for the attacks on churches and pro-life centers are being labeled and investigated as domestic terrorists. This is a good thing and we need to see this violence condemned, investigated, and put an end to. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's the latest update on the abortion front and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Okay, Britney Spears... Whether you like the song Hit Me Baby One More Time or another song of hers, was never a fan, actually was not allowed to watch music videos growing up because of this person. Uh, But I was a huge advocate for the Free Britney movement. I think the conservatorship and everything that was going on with her, uh, really her lack of freedom as an adult to make her choices and some of the concerns about her father who had been making odd choices for her. 
I thought it was important that we advocated and spoke for her freedom. It was a very good thing to see her release from her conservatorship. But now, one of the things that she wanted was to get married. So she recently remarried this past week. And I found it interesting because a news story came out that I was looking at. And the story was saying that actually her two sons, which made me feel kind of old, her sons, Sean and Jaden, who are now 16 and 15 years old with Kevin Federline, ex-husband Kevin Federline, both of her sons did not attend the wedding. Now, again, two kind of older teenage boys. Now, ex-husband Federline's attorney actually released a statement about this. The attorney said the boys felt that it would be overwhelming for them, that is to attend their mom's wedding to a new man. And the attorney goes on to say, and it would be best for Brittany to focus on this great day. And based on that, they felt it would be best for them not to be in attendance. How sad. These two young boys, teenagers, chose to stay home with dad and not attend the wedding of their mom. Again, a statement being released by ex-husband and father of her children, Kevin Federline's attorney. And it was really making me think about how so often when it comes to the topic of divorce, we love to talk about how children are resilient. Totally fine. Children are resilient. We don't have to worry about them. They'll work through it. You know, don't worry, don't worry. When parents who are considering or going through a divorce start to question it, everyone says, don't worry, kids are resilient. They'll be just fine. And that's not the truth of the matter. It's sad because I think that many children whose parents have been divorced We've known in a lot of research, and there's one book that's most poignant on touching on this. It's called the Pri- called Primal Loss, and Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. It's written by Layla Miller. She's been a guest here on Trending. We've talked about her work and the stories of tons, dozens upon dozens of now adult children, adults whose children divorce or whose parents divorced when they were children, they share their testimony. Many, most of them share anonymously because they don't want their parents to ever hear that they were unhappy, that they were hurt, they were impacted, they were disappointed, that it was earth shattering and absolutely rocked their world. A couple things from Layla Miller's book, Primal Loss, as well as from Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse's work. Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse is the founder and president of the Ruth Institute. And she talks about the fallout of the sexual revolution and divorce is one of the topics she discussed. And between these two key areas of work on the impact of a divorce on the kids, they talk about things such as the fact that even when these kids whose parents divorce and they become adults from childhood into adulthood, they always hope and desire that their parents will reunite, that they'll remarry. So much so that most of these now adults take it all the way until one of their parents dies. And many will say the moment that parent dies, something such as, I guess now or I lost hope then that mom and dad would ever remarry, reunite. And it it touches on the idea that children are resilient. No, children don't live under a rock. Children 
can't ignore the reality of the brokenness of parents separating and not having that stable, secure, and ongoing love of a home life where mother and father love one another. But another thing that's come out in this work, speaking to the impact of divorce on children, is that when a child's parents divorce, they feel as though half of them is being rejected. Because one parent is rejecting the other parent, who to the child is half of that child. It's half of that child's identity, if not more to them. And so to them, they feel as if part of them has been rejected and they reject part of themselves. Walt Heyer from sexchangeregret.com was with me here earlier in the week and we were talking about uh, why many people are transitioning out of nowhere with no prior tendencies or proclivities to same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. And he was talking about how a lot of the trends are also indicating that kids whose parents divorce, this is one of the coping mechanisms that are that is occurring. Again, it's this rejection in part of themselves, their bodies. It's a reaction to trauma. The reality is, is that Divorce is a very traumatic event for kids. And I think that when I heard this, that all these years later, Britney Spears' ex-husband, Kevin Federline's attorney, releases a statement saying that the boys, 16 and 15 years old, were not in attendance at the wedding because it would be, quote, overwhelming for them. Speaks volumes to something that not enough people are saying. Divorce breaks up a family. Divorce hurts children. And no, kids aren't just resilient and let's move on. And I think that that's a reminder that we have when people criticize the church for having harsh, strict, and ancient rules that two people who no longer love each other should still have to remain married. Well, it's for a reason. It's for the good of the spouses and for the good of children. Is marriage easy? Absolutely not. But there's a reason why since the dawn of time, The expectation centering on marriage has always been that two people stay married. And when there have been laws all the way back into the Old Testament and Judaism and exceptions for divorce and remarriage, as it is said, and as Jesus Christ himself says, this was due to the hardness of hearts. It wasn't ever approved by God. It was choices that we in our hardness, we in our brokenness and our sin These are accommodations we try to make for ourselves, ignoring the vision God had for the human person, for human marriage, for the human family, for that flourishment that's so important. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, the question of the hour, I want to hear from you. How do you correct another person's kid or do you not? And if you correct kids, how did that go for you? I want stories of good, bad, and the ugly. I'm really curious how you approach this because I am looking for advice. I've been in a situation recently having to do with needing to correct a child and Uh, And it comes up all the time. I'm not a fan of kids. And so this one's a little bit of a difficult one for me because I already know I don't really like children that much. I love my own and I do love well-behaved kids. 
but just the parenting techniques out there today that don't say no among other things or adults being corrected for correcting other people's children. It's mind-boggling. So I want to hear your thoughts. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. You can also share your thoughts now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to share there. I'll be right back here on Trending to share with you the latest news as well with the executive order that came out yesterday from President Biden during Pride Month forcing schools to push LGBTQ identities on children. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The question of the hour rests on what do you do? Do you correct another person's kid? I really am curious on different approaches on this. I've said before, I'm not a fan of children. And so this one, I think I'm a little more sensitive to in the respect that I don't want to be too harsh. Uh, I also hate that many parents correct the other adult who corrects their children. It's just a fascinating thing. So how do you correct another person's kid or do you not? And how did it go for you when you have? Numbers 1-888-914-9149. You can also share your thoughts, stories, comments now on my Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Ton of responses coming in on Instagram. So please, if you're not going to call in, I want to hear your thoughts there now. Okay, before we get to that, President Biden issued another executive order and a whole slew of executive orders forcing schools to push the LGBTQ identity on children. He's promising, quote, full force that is of government support for the LGBTQ community. The Department of Education is imposing pro-LGBTQ directives on schools and government-funded programs here in the United States. President Biden said, My order will use the full force of the federal government to prevent, quote, inhumane practices of conversion therapy. He said this is the first time the federal government is leading a coordinated response against this dangerous, discredited practice. Close quote. Okay. First of all, I'm not a big fan of executive orders because executive orders means that as a president, you are having to bypass state and local law. You're having to bypass the House, the Senate, and you're trying to bypass the judiciary system in order to get your agenda done. Often, again, executive orders can function as dictatorships. Can executive orders be utilized? Absolutely. But we are just seeing one executive order after another that has been implemented over the last really 10 years or so. And this is a massive bypass of state and local law. And in fact, 
over and over again, I was reading the executive order. It's pretty long. And part of it is stuff that will be implemented now. Part of it is an analysis that's going to be done. A report's going to be issued over the next year. And then within 100 days or so, uh, various expectations will be held of various um, educational institutions and other public institutions receiving government funding in terms of how they're going to handle the LGBTQ issues. Now, over and over again in the document itself, I was reading the executive order today, it talks about, quote, harmful state and local laws and practices. Who is President Biden to think that he can just go in over and over and overrule of his own volition laws that have been implemented locally and in states that often should, I would hope, and again, not saying that every law is perfect because the vast majority of them are not, but you're passing the judicial system, you're passing health committees, you're passing in all of these committees that the House and the Senate have to try and create protective barriers and measures so that people aren't just creating their own laws and legislation. And this is what's really sad is that in this executive order, along with some of the other executive orders, did you know that it, as of the last couple of weeks, because of one of the executive orders implemented by the Biden administration this month, the name of pride, that now schools can't receive lunch money if they're not willing to let boys participate in girls' sports to get dressed in the intimate areas where girls are supposed to have safe spaces to get dressed and use the restroom. And vice versa. For boys, girls are supposed to be able to play on the baseball team, which it completely changes the dynamic between boys on a team when they're bonding and how they're interacting. I'm not saying that we should justify various types of harmful male behavior. Absolutely not. But the bottom line is, is that when there's a room full of men and one girl walks in, every man in that room now acts differently. Justifiably and rightly so. That said, there should be safe spaces for men to be exclusively together and for women to be exclusively together. And bare minimum, that should be the bathroom. That should be the dressing room. That should be the locker room. And yes, that should be sports because there are physiological differences between male and female written into nearly every single cell, thousands of cells in our bodies indicating sex differences. Talk to a neuroscientist, talk to a biologist, talk to people who study kinesthetics and physiology. This is so profound and it's important we recognize that. But this latest executive order that I read that came out yesterday is now forcing schools to push so-called gender-affirming therapeutic services only. So that would mean how a school handles and encourages and speaks of cross-sex hormones, bodily mutilation through so-called gender-affirming care, such as a sex change. All of these things that if you're not willing to affirm and say, yes, you want to go ahead and use cross-sex hormones, you should do that. If you're not willing to say, oh, you want to cut off your breasts? Go ahead. I think that's great, honey. You can't even say some of the harmful things that would happen to a woman who did so. That she will never nurse a baby. You can't tell her things such as that if she goes through with a 
sex, so-called sex change, that literally her body will be changed and ravaged and she will not have her own biological children. Or that it will be difficult to experience pleasure in the most intimate acts that are meant to occur between men and women. But even when you eroticize things, which happens very often in the LGBTQ movement, that you won't even be able to experience the same pleasure, if any at all, when you're looking at pornography, when you're engaging with people of the same sex. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but that's the truth of the matter. And these are the things that no one, no one is saying. And President Biden, without any clear consensus, without even citing medical data, is moving forward with forcing an agenda on schools anywhere that has a government-funded entity, and now he's going after so-called conversion therapy. We've talked a lot about conversion therapy here on Trending. We've defined what it is not, that it's a blanket term that many people use. And yes, there are weird therapies that some people, secular and religious, have tried to implement and use. And those should be condoned. They're wrong. But let me tell you what is considered conversion therapy just one thing that's considered conversion therapy. If I were a Catholic therapist, or you were a Catholic therapist, so you hold to a Judeo-Christian view of the world, the human person, morality, and ethics, and you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and you believe that there are only two sexes, male and female, well, for you to use any language that upholds Judeo-Christian reality in your therapy, that would be considered conversion therapy because that would mean that you would not be affirming a adult or adolescent and saying in their belief that they are identifying as something other than their biological reality. So the simple idea of not even just a therapist, but a school counselor or a teacher for that matter. Let's say you're a teacher and a child comes up to you and says that they now want to identify, the boy wants to identify as a girl, and he now wants to be called Susie. Well, if you're a teacher and you don't want to call him Susie, or maybe you, I say, sometimes I say concede the name. Fine, I'll call you Susie, but I won't use the pronouns because that's a lie, and I can't lie to you and participate in this delusion. Well, that is grounds for firing underneath scary executive order such as this. This is a major attack on therapeutic freedom. This is an attempt to skirt state and local laws and the executive order itself says that that's exactly what this is. Quote, harmful in state, local, and local laws and practices. That's what it's trying to get around. So let's talk about therapeutic freedom for just a moment. This is a major attack on therapeutic freedom because it sidesteps the legal system to get things done. It prevents experts in these fields on these topics from coming in and addressing these issues. So-called, quote, conversion therapy is a blanket phrase with no real definition. They never identify it. According to most LGBTQ advocates, speaking to a person about past sexual abuse with any relation to an adverse sexual proclivity is actually labeled as conversion therapy. So if a little boy comes in and is saying that he's gay and you start talking to him about what's going on and suddenly something comes up and you think you know what this little boy might be sexually abused currently presently 
for you to start to dive into that at all in relation to his same so-called same-sex attraction and new identity, well, that could also be considered conversion therapy. Because according, because again, there's no, uh, bl- there's no definition for what conversion therapy is. And the vast number of therapists who are helping people who are struggling with various sexual proclivities that go in the opposite direction of biological reality and a natural complementarity of the body, well, that's the reality. If they're to question it, if they're not to immediately affirm what these children are saying and their confusion about their identity, if they're to question or dig anywhere, those ideas, those questions are considered part of conversion therapy. Because this is a blanket term and what they're attacking, some of the people they're going after, do just that. They help to identify prior traumas that have occurred in people's lives that could be impacting some sort of sexual deviance. The goal is to heal. And if the byproduct is that their sexual attraction, their gender dysphoria shifts as a result of healing from sexual abuse, obsessive compulsive disorder, emotional abuse, trauma. Well, if that's a side effect of healing from the abuse and the trauma, that's a good thing. But again, today, that is considered conversion therapy. So the funding for this executive order is actually going to be used to attack therapeutic freedom. So let's say I want to see a therapist who believes that marriage is between one man and one woman and is going to affirm a female identity for me, even if I'm struggling with my sexual identity. But I want that therapist to affirm my female identity as a biological reality and as a person created in God's image and likeness. Well, funding is going to attack therapeutic freedom. So you can't choose what sort of therapist you want. You can't even say in a school system, hey, you know, there's a therapist here and I know this and choose a therapist based on them upholding Christian worldview. No, you can't choose that as a parent. You can't choose that as even a kid. And even Various funding for programs for adults are doing the same thing. This is outright disregarding the therapeutic choices of parents and adults. And here's another interesting thing. Catholic therapists who hold, and again, I've been talking about this, who hold to a Christian worldview, applied in therapy and believe that God made people male and female, just that simple idea, and that God forgives sins, all this, again, would fall under a so-called blanket term of conversion therapy. These are attacks on Judeo-Christian principles. These are attacks on therapeutic choice. And there is funding to attack this both here in the United States and President Biden in the executive order when I was reading it is actually intending funding to go after this in other nations worldwide. In fact, they're demanding information from other countries about so-called conversion therapy. And they're going to be asking, encouraging, and pressuring other nations to change policies in their own states with regard to how these issues are being handled. What this is, is compelled speech. Compelled speech is forced speech. What it will do and what it is doing already in some states here in the United States is it forces professionals to use particular speech. So you have to affirm, 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 affirm over and over and say yes, yes, yes to a client, a child, an adult, whoever, who identifies as any form of the LGBTQ spectrum. This is interesting because it would be like a rehabilitation facility being told 
that their rehab specialists can't ask rehabilitative clients questions, let's say after a knee replacement, about what their day-to-day activities look like both before and after the procedure, what the causes of discomfort might be for the knee, or even to ask what could have caused the harm that led to the necessity for a knee replacement. All of those questions that are important to help guide and strengthen various muscles in the body so that a client can move forward in healing. That would be like saying that this rehabilitative specialist who's working with someone who goes through knee replacements can no longer ask any questions. That's what this is saying. And I think that this is so profound that we recognize this. There's so much that's going on in this executive order. Another thing that's included, and we'll move on in just a moment, we'll talk about what we can do here, is that this also includes funding for a children and adults who are on welfare. And this funding is for pro-LGBTQ programs to be implemented for people who are on welfare. There's a lot of emphasis on the homeless or the poor who identifies LGBTQ, but there's a lot of pressure and already funding for groups going into minority communities to push an LGBTQ identity. Let's be real for just a moment. The LGBTQ movement is highly abortive, highly mutilative, it involves chemical castration, and here's a hint, it is a form of population control, and you could even argue eugenics. Why are they pushing the LGBTQ movement on people of color, on minorities? Why are they pushing the LGBTQ movement on the poor, on people who are on welfare? Well, because it often sterilizes them, leads to sexual uh, trauma, sexually transmitted diseases that lead to sterilization. This is a reality. I think this is all, again, part of population control. It's all a part of rejecting the fundamental understanding of being created in God's image and likeness, that we have the tendency towards sin. We have the grace of God. We have the forgiveness of sins and we are created to be with God in heaven. And this is why we as people of faith have to uphold telling the truth, objecting to radical ideologies such as these, that we continue to fight to uphold wholesome care, that people are willing even to be punished at times for upholding that wholesome care and be willing to enter into legal battles over that wholesome care. This is also why parents only have trusted and continually verified individuals training, educating, and spending time with your children. This LGBTQ ideology is rampant. People are being paid top money to push this ideology. And we have to make sure that only trusted people are with children today because this is an ideology that we need to protect ourselves and children from. And that is how we will take back the future of the beauty of who the human person is created in God's image and likeness. And that is where we see human flourishment continue to happen. Not in this community that we are seeing pushing ideas such as President Joe Biden's executive order. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, I'll be back in just a moment, and we are going to be talking about how do you correct another person's kid, or do you not? And how did that go for you? Numbers 1-888-914-9149. I look forward to hearing from you.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm really looking forward to hearing stories. So please give me a call. The question is... Do you correct other people's kids? And if you do, have that go for you, or do you just not do that? The number is 1-888-914-9149. Taking responses in just a moment. But before we do that, we are seeing a great Eucharistic revival being implemented by the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, and we here at Relevant Radio are partnering, working to help draw attention to the beauty of the Eucharist. Today is the feast day of Corpus Christi, also celebrated on Sunday in many parish- parishes if you weren't able to celebrate it today. And Father Rocky has a challenge for you. He actually encouraged us. I want you to go to relevantradio.com to watch his video and his invitation. But Father Rocky is encouraging that all of us make time to once a week visit our Lord Jesus Christ one extra time each week. Go to your par- your local parish, a parish that's near where you, you are, but plan it out. Go and spend some time in front of our Lord. It might be 15 minutes. It might be half an hour, an hour. But I think this is a beautiful challenge coming from Father Rocky to go and adore our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you can find somewhere that has adoration or maybe you can sit in the church before the Blessed Sacrament that is present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle. It's the best place to pray. One of my dearest friends, she's not Catholic, but she said, there's nothing like going to a Catholic church to pray. And I said, you know, there's a reason. Yes, yes, I know. And from time to time, she'll say, I just, I really want to go to a Catholic church and pray. And I said, you know, there's a reason for that, right? Some people who aren't even Catholic know there's something different about the Catholic church. And that is the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go to relevantradio.com to learn more about the Eucharist during this Eucharistic revival. Okay, the question of the hour is, how do you correct another person's kid, or do you not? Join me now, caller, coming from Southgate, California, Teresa. What do you do? Do you correct other people's kids, and how did that go for you? Hi. No, it didn't go very well for me. Um, it, you know, I was at a shopping store, and there's a little girl with her mom. A little girl maybe about seven or eight years old, and neither one is wearing a mask. The little girl is just coughing around, and I look at her, and I said, honey, you know, you might want to try the vampire, coughing like a vampire, and just bring your elbow up to your mouth. And the mom didn't like it. She <laughs> let me know that what I should not be addressing her daughter. <gasps> oh, goodness. Um, besides a bunch of profanities and calling me by names and the F word repeatedly, louder and louder, and the calmer I was, the more agitated she became. And, you know, my knee-jerk reaction, I was thinking, well, no wonder she has no manners, right? A monkey see, monkey do. And I didn't say anything. I just, I completely retracted. I stayed back. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to add more fuel to the fire. But it it startled me. I had never experienced anything like that. And being a mom, I would appreciate if someone you know, would say, you know, honey, cough this way, or, you know, you know, don't run around, you might fall and harm yourself, something. It just, mm-hmm. it completely backfired on me. And I had never experienced anything like that, that it might make me think twice the next time. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, Teresa, it, it is fascinating. So here you are, kids in public, they're coughing, hacking up a storm. This isn't a time we have masks. And you say, honey, just cover your mouth, you know, vampire cough, put your elbow up. And the mom starts yelling profanities at you, calling you names, and tells you not to address her daughter. I appreciate so much what you said, Teresa, because you just said to being a mom, I would appreciate it if another person were to correct my child. And I find like there are two camps of people. The camp of people, or maybe kind of three, at one camp of people where it's like, you can correct my kid. You're an adult. You're an authority. Please do correct my kid. And even if I don't quite agree with the way you correct it, as long as, it, of course, it's not harmful, please, my child needs to learn authority and respect and cooperation and obedience. And then there's the other group. It's like, do not correct my children. Some can be as violent and aggressive as this parent that you saw experiencing outrunning errands. Uh, and others can be a little more vague where they make an excuse for their kid as an adult figure just corrected their kid. But then when you make an excuse for their kid right in front of your kid, your kid thinks, oh, well, that's fine what I just did. And it totally overrules what the other adult just did to correct your child. It's kind of like that whole idea of, you know, if one parent is correcting a child, don't overrule them in front of the kid. If there's a disagreement, try to do it in private. Okay, I want to hear more stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How do you correct another person's kid or do you not? And how did it go for you when you did? Okay, I am not a fan of children. Like, I'm just not really a big fan of them. I am pro-life. I do love children. I love my own. But one of the really difficult things ever since I was a child was the brattiness, the misbehavior. It is just so difficult for me to wrap my head around the parenting techniques that allow for this. And I remember one of my first experiences, I already wasn't a big fan of kids. And then lo and behold, here I am. And I think I was in high school. And I don't know why I had this terrible idea for someone who's not a big fan of kids to volunteer for vacation Bible school. So I volunteer for vacation Bible school. And I remember begging my mom after the first day, like, please don't make me go back. She said, no, you made a commitment. You'll finish it. Well, the very first day, first hour, parents are dropping up the, off their kids. They're there and I'm with a group of kids and I don't remember what happened, but a little kid did something wrong. And I very gently and subtly corrected the kid. I said no within this context. I do remember that. The parent outright corrected me and told me, oh, we don't tell our child no. We don't want you to say that to her. And then the other volunteer who was in charge of that age group that I was working with told me not to correct the children anymore. This was the beginning of hundreds of children at Vacation Bible School, and I was supposed to be there to help. How do you spend time with hundreds of children and not correct them? I just don't know how to handle that. And so it has been interesting being a newer mom and my kids at the age where she's starting to interact with other kids and I'm seeing the terrorists, I'm seeing the good kids, and I am kind of at a loss for words sometimes on how to handle correcting other people's kids. Okay, John from Orlando, Florida. John, what has been your experience with correcting other people's kids and what stories do you have for us? Well, you know, I think mine is my own nephew and this is some years ago, but uh, my, my sister-in-law and my two-year-old, my two-year-old nephew at that time and um, obviously a very sad situation, but um, 
I, I, he was having a temper tantrum in front of everybody, including um, you know, typical two-year-old. And I raised a few other kids. We were already on our third. And I did discipline him for throwing an object and, and in front of his mother. And what that led to is me not being able to see him for quite a long time. I won't go into how many years it was, but it was not good. And it was more, you know, she was offended that I had father, who, of course, unfortunately, was but it was better my brother. But it's just knowing the psyche of the parent. Mm. Wow, John, the fact that another you... Woman's Right. The fact that you corrected your own nephew and then the mom then didn't allow you to be around him for a long time. You say years after that. And there was a sensitive topic. And this is this is true. I mean, parents are really scary. It's like, I'm sorry that I fed your kid cheese and and you don't want them to eat cheese. I get it. I have food allergies. But I think like a lot of parents walk on, you know, pins and needles around other people. It it is really interesting to kind of see some of the reactions with this topic. I have one friend I was on the phone with her the other day because I was talking about a really difficult situation I was in recently with regard to career another person's child and she's bold and actually she commented on social media when I asked this she said I always correct other people's kids and she said especially if they're putting others at risk or even if they're just being disruptive of whatever happening and she was telling me we were on the phone the other day she said I was in a situation where I was at the gym and I was exercising and they had kind of like a kiddie play area and she said there's this one older kid and she said I have you know younger kids and this one older kid was throwing this big long heavy pull object that was kind of sharp on the end as well but it was heavy and so if someone else got hit by it or an, another object was hit it could break something or hurt someone and apparently the parents were sitting right there in front of the kids looking directly at the kid and they weren't saying anything not correcting it there were other children running around and so she walks right up to the kid a few feet in front of the parents and she grabs the child's arm and says don't throw this. It's heavy and it's going to hurt someone or break something. And at first he kind of started to squirm and then he calms down and she said, here, if you really want to throw something, look at those things. They're fun. They're soft. They won't hurt anyone. They'll be fun to throw. The child's attention's redirected. And after all these, this time, and all these minutes of this kid throwing this heavy, long object the kids have been redirected and it was something so simple the parents didn't say a word in this instance but I thought I don't think I'd have necessarily the (laughs) the uh, the courage per se to go and correct a kid like that when their parents are sitting right there because in my mind I'm waiting for the parents to step up but I find that often a lot of other parents are not willing um, whether to have the, have other people see them correct their children or to say no to their kids. The whole don't say no to my child or I don't say no to my child trend is confusing, but I can't understand it. Is it because correcting kids is difficult and exhausting and forming manners and forming good behavior is difficult? I'm in this flux of figuring out this new parenting realm of how to correct another person's kid. If you have stories to share, I'd still love to hear them. Maybe we'll share a little bit more of these tomorrow on Trending. And we'll continue our virtue series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, talking about generosity tomorrow on Trending.
Trending with Timory. What we really need to talk about is the pursuit of joy, which is a gift. Rooted in God, we're able to have this eternal perspective. This is a different world. We as parents have to educate ourselves. Get online and look this stuff up. Your child is dealing with it. We are deserving of healthy relationships, and we should not compromise, even if it's easier. Buckle up, join us if you have a question. Trending with Timory, live Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Relevant Radio app or at RelevantRadio.com.